All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for gathering us together today. Lord, you are the one who gives us the the life and the ability to do this. You provide freedom for us to do this in our country. We're grateful for the freedom that we have to gather like this. Lord, I pray that you would use this time to be... um, Lord, part of it, I want it to be an encouragement to each of us here. I, I pray that our time, whether it is us sharing together um, or whether it is us looking at your word, I, I pray that we would walk away encouraged. But Lord, I also pray that you would use our time to um, remind us that we are to be an encouragement to others. So may we be that which we desire to receive to one another in the body here. And then, Lord, above all, God, we are here for you. You deserve praise. This is not about us. And you can remind us of that today. And so we are here to declare your praise. We love you. We give you praise because you in your sovereign plan, knowing who we are as sinful people, you desire to send Jesus and you provided salvation for us. I thank you so much for that. Lord, would you guide my lips as I speak? May what I share today only be in agreement with what you have revealed to us through your word. And Father, I pray that it would be given by your Spirit's power. I ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. We're looking at the third part of this series, Twist and Turns. Twist and Turns. So it's not every Sunday that you come together and you learn about roller coasters. And it really shouldn't be every Sunday that you go to church to learn about roller coasters, right? That's not what church is about. With that being said, today... You're going to learn a little bit about roller coasters, okay? <laughs> this is um, called King Da Ka. And this is more of an aerial view here looking down at it. That's the ground in the background there, all right? Those are trees in the background. King Da Ka is uh, located in New Jersey at Six Flags, New Jersey. King Da Ka, I put on the screen because it is the tallest roller coaster in the world. It measures at 456 feet in the air. So if you don't like heights, don't ride King Daka, okay? This is not your ride. And um, if you don't like heights, you're really not going to like this one because not only is it the world's large or tallest roller coaster in the world, King Daka is the second, is world's second fastest roller coaster. Because you see there at the, when it gets to the crest there, it's climbing up there. Once it gets there, it drops 415 feet down and you are going at a top speed of 128 miles an hour. So if you don't like heights, you will not like this ride. Okay. You don't want to go on King Daka. How about this ride over here? I said that King Daka is the second, world's second fastest roller coaster. This ride here is called Formula Rosa. 
It is found in Dubai, Abu Dubai, and it is the world's fastest roller coaster. This roller coaster goes, I said, King to Ka, top speed, 128. This roller coaster, 150. It does 150 in, 0 to 150 in 4.9 seconds. Hang on. Hang on. And I think that you are probably strapped in so that, I, I know you're strapped in, but I think that they probably are strapping you in all over just so that you really can't move at that speed. How about this one here? This is called Full Throttle. Don't you love these names? <laughs> this is called Full Throttle. This is actually on the West Coast. Woohoo! This is down in Valencia, California at Six Flags. This one, I put this one up here because this is the largest in the world, world's largest loop-de-doop, okay? <laughs> Whatever you call those, those loops there. All right? This, this loop-de-doop here, it measures at the, at the crest there, it measures at 127.13 feet. Point thirteen. Got to get that in there, all right? Can't just say 127 feet. It's 127.13 feet at the peak. That's the largest. That's full throttle. How about this one? This one is called the Smiler. And I guarantee that if I went on there, I would not be smiling after I rode this one. And you probably wouldn't be smiling either. Many, some of you would be smiling. All right, why, why do we um, mention this one here? This is the world's uh, this one has, out of the world, it has the most inversions. What does that mean? It twists and turns you the most number of times, all right? How many times? Fourteen. Fourteen inv- inversions where you're just getting twisted and turned back and forth, up and down, all over the place. This is found in the UK. So if you, if you like to get sick, then this is a place to go, okay? Called the Smiler. One more. Had to choose this one here. Well, this one isn't so exciting, is it? But this looks about right for me. (laughs) This one is called the Scenic Railway. Doesn't that sound nice? This one's my ride. (laughs) It's called the Scenic Railway. Find this one in Melbourne, Australia. Why do I choose this one? This is the world's oldest oldest and still in use. It opened in on December, get it correct here, December 13th, 1912. And it still is in use today. A hundred and what is that? Uh, where did I say 12? 106. It's just about to turn 106 years old for its birthday. And it still is in use. Would you want to go on that old wooden roller coaster? I don't know. I've been on some wooden roller coasters and you feel like it's going to fall apart. I wonder if this would do that too. I don't know. But I I watched some video footage of it this last week on YouTube and it did look pretty cool. Um, The oldest out there. All right. Don't you, don't you, um, side note, this is rabbit trail. King Daka, Formula Rosa, Full Throttle, The Smiler, and then you can tell those are all newer. And then the old time one, the Scenic Railway. All right. <laughs> I love it. You can just tell by the, by the names. All right. I mentioned this this morning again because life can feel like a roller coaster. 
Life is full of ups and downs. Life is full of twists and turns. This, this is part of life. Um, this is part of being human. We, we experience twists and turns. Some of those twists and turns are expected. And we know they're coming. And we're ready for them. And then there are those twists and turns that are unexpected. They catch us by surprise. We don't like them. They're difficult for us to embrace because we have to embrace them. We're on the ride and we're going for it. Well, we're looking at Genesis. We're looking at the life of Joseph. And I am inviting you this morning to turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 40. We're going to work through chapter 40 today. And I want to just review the last couple of weeks where we've been. Two weeks ago, we looked at Joseph and his, the family dynamics and how his own brothers were the ones who sold Joseph um, as a slave to Egypt. Uh, his own family members were thinking they actually wanted to kill him. That was their intent. Let's kill him. They, they really despised him. And, and then they began to think about it as they threw him in a pit in a cistern that he could not climb out of. As he was calling out to them, they're having lunch. And they began to think, well, really, what's in this for us? Because if we kill him, we don't get anything out of this deal. And as they're thinking that, some Ishmaelites come by and they decide, let's sell our own brother and let's send him, let's get some money out of this and let's send him off to Egypt, which is where Joseph goes. Last week we looked at how Joseph was um, a, a, a slave. He was a servant um, under Potiphar, who was the captain of the guard under Pharaoh. And it was there that we are told that Joseph was handsome and well-built. And it was, it was not just the writer that noticed that, it was also Potiphar's wife. And Potiphar's wife tried to seduce Joseph to come to bed with him. And Joseph refused. And it says that he refused over and over again. And if there's a part of us that thinks, well, what is Joseph doing He's, he's flirting with temptation. No, he was, he was a slave. He, he had to be in this house. He couldn't just run away. He had to do what his master hired him to do. Not, not hi, he, this is what he had to do. Okay, so I don't think that he was just flirting with temptation. He was trying. It said that he tried to remove himself from her as much as he possibly can. But then came the point when Pharaoh, or when Potiphar was gone and Potiphar's wife grabbed him, grabbed him by the, co- by the cloak, and it says that Joseph took off. Again, I love the character that Joseph had. All of this aggravated Potiphar when he heard false accusations against Joseph, got angry to the point where he took Joseph and threw him in prison. All right, and that's where we left off last week. So now in prison, we pick up And let's look at verses 1 through 4 here to begin with. Genesis chapter 40, verses 1 through 4. It says, Sometime later, and I don't know how much later it was, but sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, 
the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph and he attended them. Stop there. All right, so we've got Joseph in prison and we have the cupbearer and we've got the baker. These are two important positions. Cupbearer is a person who is making sure that the drink is safe for Pharaoh to drink. Because if anyone is going to die from something being poisoned, it's going to be the cupbearer and not the Pharaoh. So he's got an important, important position. You've got the chief baker who is here to provide the, the meals for Pharaoh. And, and something happened that angered Pharaoh. He was offended. I don't know if Pharaoh was just really this like fickle kind of guy where he just easily got angered and it was just something really insignificant. It, it could have been. And he was just, I have the power, they're in prison. It could have been that. I don't know. Maybe it was something more, maybe it was bigger. Maybe these guys were actually conspiring against Pharaoh. I don't know because scripture doesn't tell us. But something happened and both the cupbearer and the baker are sent to prison. Now, regardless of how they get there, I want to point out I believe that we really see providence here. We really see God's sovereign work here. Using things that are difficult. Because if we are going to rescue, elevate Joseph out of prison, how is this going to happen? And, and so really, though it was perhaps injustice or perhaps just, I don't know that the cupbearer and the baker are in prison, can we recognize that this is part of God's plan? And these two men are in prison because this is part of God's plan to lift Joseph up out of prison. Also, I want you to note that when Pharaoh sent the cupbearer and the baker, he sent them to the captain of the guard. Who is that? Do you know who that is? Potiphar. Yes, this is Potiphar. This is Potiphar. This is, again, God's providential working here. Potiphar is is the captain of the guard. These two guys are put in the custody of Potiphar. Notice. What does Potiphar do with these two guys? Where does he send them? Under whose care does he put them? Joseph's. He puts them under Joseph's care. Now, I don't know here, but I have to ask myself the question. Has Potiphar had a change of heart? Is is he starting to see my wife was not telling the truth. Is he beginning to see that? Is he beginning to see that Joseph really was innocent? I don't know. But but to me, when it says that, that that Potiphar is actually taking Joseph, or actually taking the cupbearer and the baker and putting them under the care of Joseph, 
I think there's something more going on here. And I tend to think that that Potiphar started to understand bigger picture here. Joseph is an innocent man. I could be wrong. I don't know because it doesn't tell us. But I really find it interesting that Potiphar is the one who says, all right, you guys are going to go under Joseph's care. And that's where, the, that's where these guys are placed. Let's read on. Verse 5. After they had been in custody for some time, again, we don't know how long. We have some ideas, but we don't know how long. Each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. I want to stop there really quick. Dreams. Dreams for the Egyptian culture in particular. This, the, the Egyptian culture was big on dreams. They believed a few things about dreams. Egyptians believed that sleep put them in contact with another world. This is what the Egyptian culture believed. When we're sleeping, we are actually being put in contact with another world. Okay? They believed, Egyptians believed that if you had a pair of dreams, it, it meant certainty that this is going to be fulfilled. If I get two dreams, certainty, this will be fulfilled. And a third thing that Egyptians believed, they believed that they had, they had, professional interpreters who had dream books. And these dream books would explain the symbolism or the meaning of the dream. This is Egyptian culture. Now, Joseph was also familiar with dreams. God has given him two dreams that we are told of. And God has used dreams, and so Joseph understands dreams, but Joseph understands something that the Egyptians do not understand, and it's this. Dreams don't belong to a dream book. Dreams belong to God. And Joseph understands that. Let's read on, verses 6 through 8. When Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials, who were in custody with him in his master's house. Why are your faces so sad today? We both had dreams, they answered, but there is no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. Stop there. Whenever people are faced with injustice after injustice, like Joseph, they have a tendency of being coming kind of one of two people. One, I want to retaliate. I have had injustice done to me, so I am going to retaliate and pour out the anger that is within me. Or the other extreme is, I have had injustice happen to me, and my heart breaks. And I will do everything within my power to make sure that injustice does not happen to anyone else as it has happened to me. And don't we see these two extremes from society today? Great injustice, it either multiplies or someone says, enough is enough. 
No more injustice. I am amazed at Joseph because we really sense part of who he is. We, we sense more of his character here as this cupbearer and this baker. As they are sitting there on their bunk or on the floor, whatever they had, as they're sitting there, they're dejected. They're, they're down, downcast. They're, they're bothered. Why are they bothered? In their Egyptian culture, they, they knew we've had dreams, but we have no one to interpret them. Why? Because we're just prisoners. No one's going to come here and interpret the dreams for us. And Joseph's response to the cupbearer and the baker. Joseph is moved with compassion. And he comes to these guys. And he says, I want to know why you're bothered. These guys say there's no one to interpret our dreams. To which Joseph says, tell me your dream. Dreams belong to God. Let's consult God on this. We can come to God on this. We don't need a professional interpreter. We don't need those dream books. Let's go to God on this. He will tell us the interpretation. And we're going to look at this dream here, but I have to ask myself this question too, and I don't have an answer for it. Joseph's faith, from all I can tell, was steadfast in God. While he's in prison, while he has had injustice after injustice happen, I wonder while he's there, how much did he already speak of his faith in God to the cupbearer and the baker? I really wonder. There seems to be this rapport that these guys have with Joseph. I mean, don't forget, these guys are, all they knew from their culture was idol worship. They, the idea of one true God, it was foreign to them. Everything that Joseph, as a Hebrew, coming there, everything that he was bringing would have been completely foreign to them. And yet, as, as Joseph is sitting down with these guys, extending compassion to them, he says, Tell me your dreams. I think there must have been some kind of rapport here because if there wasn't, they would say, forget it. You're a weirdo. I don't want to talk to you. You don't even understand. You have some foreign religion. And yet these guys are, let's tell them. Let's tell them our dream. And they open up. So it goes on. In verse 9, let's read these two dreams. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream. He said to him, In my dream I saw a vine in front of me, and on the vine were three branches. As soon as it budded, it blossomed, and its clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes, squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and put the cup in his hand. This is what it means, Joseph said to him. Three days, or the three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position. And you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand. 
just as you used to do when you were his cupbearer. But when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. For I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews. And even here, I have done nothing to deserve being put in this dungeon. When the chief baker saw that Joseph had given a favorable interpretation, he said to Joseph, I too had a dream. On my head were three baskets of bread. In the top basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. This is what it means, Joseph said. The three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat away your flesh. Whew, stop there. Didn't go quite so well for him. You know, this, this chief baker hears the interpretation that Joseph gives for the cupbearer and thinks, well, that's favorable. I think I might try this too. Let's see what happens for me. And, and this baker says, here's my, here's my dream. Here's what happened to me. Now, if Joseph was a people pleaser, <laughs> how would he have gone about this? If he was strictly a, a people pleaser, not a God pleaser. Now, I, I think that God pleasers can be people pleasers to a certain extent. But we are God pleasers first and foremost. And there are times because we are pleasing God, we will not please people. This would be one of those times. <laughs> this was not pleasing to hear. And yet Joseph, I, I mean, I'm thinking he could have, if he was a people pleaser, he'd be, whoo, all right, um, cut baker, why don't you grab a seat for this one? You know, maybe he would have tried to water down this. Well, uh, the interpretation was, um, wasn't too clear to me. I'm still trying to ask God more about that one. You, you know, no, he, he, he said, here's what it means. He was direct. He said, this is what it means. Can you imagine me and the cupbearer and the baker those next three days in prison, waiting, waiting to see? Does Joseph really have this ability to hear from God what these dreams mean? Verse 20, now the third day was Pharaoh's birthday. And he gave a feast for all his officials. He lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of his officials. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position so that he once again put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker just as Joseph had said to them in his interpretation. Everything that Joseph said is exactly how it took place. That must have been, I wonder how much confirmation this was for Joseph. We've been here, this is our third week. 
Do you realize that at this time, 11 years have gone by? Because later we read that when Joseph was elevated to his position right under Pharaoh, he was 30 years old. We're going to see here in just a bit, you do just some basic math, you realize he's 28 years old. Joseph is 28 years old when this takes place. 17 years old when he is sold into slavery. Now at this point, 28 years old. 11 years have gone by. So while we read these pages of scripture, let's be careful to understand that and note that. There has been injustice after injustice taking place here. And yet, I, I say confirmation for, for Joseph because as, as he interpreted these dreams, and as God gave him the ability to interpret these dreams, there had to be this part of him, I would hope, I would think, God, you gave me two dreams already. You gave me two dreams before I was 17 years old. And those dreams included my brothers and my, my own parents bowing down. And I believe those dreams are of you, God. And yet at this point, 11 years in, I think Joseph would be saying, I have seen no fulfillment whatsoever. I have seen nothing. There has been no, no sign of fulfillment. If anything, I, I am almost 400 miles away from my family. I haven't seen or heard from my family. They have no idea where I'm at. They think I'm dead. I heard my brothers conspire and I heard their conversations. They have no idea where I'm at. They think that some ferocious animal came and, and devoured me. God, what are you going to do? You gave me this dream. How are you going to bring about its fulfillment? And that's why I say that I think there had to be some form of confirmation here. Joseph, I am still with you. I am still with you. I, am, I have still given you this ability. You had those dreams. Hang on. They will be fulfilled and it will be fulfilled in God's time, not your time. So I want you to hang on. Look at the next couple of verses here. Verse 23 and then verse 1 of chapter 41. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. When two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. We'll stop there. And we'll get there next week. Two full years. We're at 11 years, two more. 13. 13 in the pit. 13 in the dungeon. 13 of life like this. Twists and turns. Joseph knew them well. He knew them extremely well. I wonder when he... When he sent off the cupbearer and the baker. Well, the baker was gone. So that doesn't help. But with the cupbearer, was he just thinking? Was he just waiting? God, I'm still waiting. God, it's another morning. It's another due day. Another, another due day. I'm still just waiting. When are you going to get me out of here? 
When, God? I'm waiting. And he continued to wait. How do you do it waiting? When called upon to wait, how do you do at waiting? And are you in a waiting process today? Are you waiting right now? Are you still waiting? I don't like to wait. I'm terrible at waiting. The only thing I like to wait for is Christmas. Because that's good. But most of the things I don't like to wait for. I just don't do well at it. Hurry up, God. We live in this. Have it now. You know, this last week, my wife, our time is about done here. I should probably be careful here. But my wife was asking on Facebook about the Instapot because our crock pot went out or it's going out. And so there's all the rave about the Instapot. You know, and so she was asking, do you really like the Instapot? Is it really as good as you believe it is? We live in an Instapot culture. You know, have it now. Have it right now. Forget having to warm up the meal for six hours or eight hours, whatever it is. Do it now. Have it fast, you know. I mean, it's just this Instapot culture. We don't know how to wait. Um, I didn't ask you if I could share this. I think it's okay if I can. I'll, if not, I'll hear about it <laughs> soon enough. <laughs> We have a good relationship. I think we're okay with this. this. This last week, she had seven minutes before a a woman's ministry meeting where she was waiting. And she was saying, because she knew what I was going to speak on. She was like, Nathan, we can't wait. As a culture, we can't wait. She was like, I want to just so badly just, I got seven minutes. Oh, I'll just go on Facebook really quick and scroll through. You know, or I'll just turn on the news and just check things out really quick. We don't know how to wait. And it's not my wife only. She's good in comparison to me. We don't do well at waiting. It's all of us. We have everything we want right now as we want it. God's timetable is different. And if you are waiting right now, can you hang on? Maybe you are waiting for a prayer request that seems to go unanswered. You continue to bring this request to God, but he just doesn't seem to give an answer. There seems to be no yes, no, or not now. It just, it just seems to be, I don't even know what he's saying. I'm waiting. Maybe it's reconciliation between a family member or a friend or a neighbor. Maybe you are waiting for a job promotion or maybe you are waiting for the promise of a job promotion. Maybe someone offered you it and you just keep on waiting and waiting and waiting. Maybe it is you're waiting for answers to health concerns. Waiting. Maybe it's waiting for the arrival of a baby. Waiting. We wait. God calls us to wait. I want to share this quote with you that I came across this last week by V. Raymond 
Edmund. He said, delay never thwarts God's purposes. It only polishes his instrument. When God delays an answer, he hasn't lost control. His purposes are not, well, scratch that. No, not at all. God doesn't work that way. He's doing something in us. Now, when we're waiting, will we allow him to do in us what he wants to do in us? According to Raymond, he's polishing his instrument. If you are in a waiting season, allow God to polish you. Trusting that what you will, the character that you will grow in through this process will be well worth it. There are things in my life that I have had to wait for. And you know what? Now looking back, though it was terrible to wait in the moment, though I did not like it for a moment, pretty much all the things I had to wait for, now I look back and I say, you know what, God, I'm okay that I had to wait. It was part of your plan. And I'm okay. I can see it now. God is polishing us when we wait. So if you're waiting, hang on. Don't lose faith in God. Continue to look to him. He still is sovereign. He still is in control. And thinking back to last week, even in the midst of difficulty, he still is there. God is still in all of this. He is working to accomplish his good and perfect will. Lord, thank you so much for this narrative, this story that we can look at, that we can learn from. God, I thank you that you can speak to us right now. Lord, you know each of us You know what we are, you know the season of life that we're in. And if we are in a season of waiting, you know exactly what we're waiting for. And Father, there are times where we, like David, cry out to you, God, this isn't fair. God, where are you? God, when will you remove this or that? When will you answer? like the response that David gave that we read this morning to begin the service. May that be our response. God, my trust is in you. My trust continues to be in you because in the midst of difficulty, God, you still are good. You are a good God. Lord, we love you. We give you praise. Thank you for this time together. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's stand.